In episode 39, Patrick and Cyprian speak with Bob Laskowski, CEO, and Bill McGann, CTO and COO of Quantum Computing Inc. The team discuss the different approaches to QPUs, optimization, predictive analytics, plus a special announcement at the end of the episode. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Hey, Cyprian, how are you doing today? Hi, Patrick. Very well and looking forward for another great Entangled Things episode. I am as well. And we're joined by Bill and Bob. And gentlemen, can you introduce yourselves to our audience, please? Uh, yeah, good morning. Um, I'm, I'm Bob Laskowski. I'm the CEO of uh, Quantum Computing Inc. Yeah, and good morning as well. I'm, my name is Bill McGann, and I'm the Chief Technology Officer and the Chief Operations Officer, partnering with Bob at QCI. Awesome. So you guys have been doing a lot of things in this field and uh, been around the block. What's going on with your company? I understand a big acquisition has happened. Yeah, so uh, Patrick, that's um, that's right. Um, you know, we just acquired QPhoton. It's a hardware company. I'm going to let Bill talk about the the technology and and all things physics. But um, I'll just give you a little bit of background about the company, if I might first. Please. We started off as a software company, and the intent of of the platform that we built, which is called Catalyst, was really uh, the the focus and the goal of that platform was to really connect end users and business users with quantum computers. Right. So that's the goal, but you got to remember where we started off back in 2018, very, very nascent industry. And people were just trying to get their heads around what quantum computing could do. What did it mean? Trying to understand what the business community might get out of that. And the realization came that there was going to be a significant dependence upon very, very high, high order talent, very high priced talent to be able to make QPUs or quantum machines work. So it's not just like, you know, opening up a uh, classical computer, getting on Windows and running a program. Right. There's a lot of heavy programming that has to go on to make a QPU actually run a problem and then formulate a problem that can actually run on that QPU, right? So this is a multi-stage process. So Q, Q, uh, QCI actually focused on developing a platform that would take that heavy lifting away, Bas mm -hmm. basically disintermediate the need for the, the high-end physics programmers, the, the, the quantum programmers to actually make a QPU work our, our platform Catalyst does that, and we do that agnostically, right? So we can do this across a number of different platforms. But more importantly is we can allow end users, business users, to actually access a quantum computer via the platform to run problems. Now, quite candidly, QPUs or quantum computers are not capable of running those problems today, right? There's mm -hmm. not None of them are doing anything at a business level that make any kind of material impact. And showing quantum advantage in, this, in the industry today is kind of an elusive goal. But nonetheless, we're able to do things with Catalyst that show the, dem the dem demonstrate and show the real value of quantum computing as it will be in its future state. There are things we can do today that actually do add value based upon some of the things that Bill and the team have produced with mm -hmm. Catalyst. And I'll let him talk about QAmplify, for example. But we really try to drive the business value to the, to the end user. So you're well, getting ready for the future. We are getting ready for the future. And we're helping clients do the same thing. Right. So people who are very curious about quantum computing and what it might do don't have to wait for a quantum computer to actually materialize into its full value. They can work with QCI and Catalyst to actually start doing things today. So when those QPUs come online to offer that value, they're ready to go. That's the value proposition. Well, um, you know, being in business, things come across the table and we found QPhoton and they kind of found us. And we didn't you know, we did this investigation into them and said, you know, this is actually a very interesting technology. Um, 
headed up by Dr. Yuping Wang out of uh, Stevens Institute of Technology. He heads up the Quantum Center there, a brilliant, brilliant physicist. And um, he had a very decided approach toward using photonics to get to the same end result that a lot of these other, there's variations of QPUs. So photonics is just one approach. Um, and we said, you know what? This is going to help us further the game even better, you know, to democratizing quantum computing, bringing those solutions down. Because as Bill, Bill explained, it, it actually is game-changing technology. So with the acquisition of QPhoton, um, we're positioned to actually provide real business users, uh, real real-world problems, solutions to real-world problems to business users and, and government users uh, using QPhoton. So I'm going to stop there. I'm going to let Bill pick up the mantle and kind of go from there. Awesome. That was great, though. Sure. I'll, uh, so thanks again for, for talking to us today. I mean, I'll sort of punctuate a couple of things that, that Bob said and then lead into a little more of the underlying technology and, and why the partnership really makes so much sense, right? I mean, so as Bob said, we, we started out as an agnostic uh, enterprise software platform to provide access to current hardware, state-of-the-art hardware today. And along that journey, we realized because of, you know, one of the things Bob said is that the current hardware systems aren't really scaled enough yet to solve large, meaningful commercial problems. We have some innovative ideas with our software using machine learning to effectively extend or expand the capabilities of current hardware systems. So, for example, uh, we came out with a couple of innovative iterations of product that we, we categorize as Q-Amplify. And the idea is you take a gate model machine, like a Rigetti or an IonQ type of system, and uh, whatever their qubit capacity is in the current hardware, our machine learning algorithms can basically tune the problem parameters that go into their system to make that machine perform like it's a times X. So we've done a lot of internal benchmarks and are currently working today with some of these third parties that I just mentioned to prove, for example, that we can expand the capability of an 11 qubit gate machine to perform like a 55. That's not bad. And, you know, if, if we can externally validate that, which we are attempting to do with that company right now, then that's really a benefit and a win-win to the industry, right? You know, not that 55 is like the end-all, beat-all is going to solve great problems, but it's a lot better than the current state. And of course, their hardware is going to extend. And so as they get to the 50 or the 20 qubit machine, we want to make sure that our, our software innovations scale with it. So we can always effectively amplify. That's right. one of the things we really want to stay focused on. And, and similarly, for the, the type of hardware systems, uh, it's kind of what led us to looking at our own hardware, frankly, this little journey we're on here I'm describing to you. We looked at the, the annealing systems like a D-Wave. We took the same approach, of course, because the, the architecture and the, the physics of how a D-Wave machine does optimization solving is different than how a gate model system works. The, the algorithmic approach is different, of course, but it's still a machine learning approach. And we were able to demonstrate in one particular uh, study with that that we could amplify the effective qubits there by a factor of 20. Oh, my gosh. So that was a really uh, almost a surprisingly uh, great uh, acceleration of the, of, the, of the capacity of that machine. So we're very excited about QAmplify. Now, along that journey, we uh, encountered another hardware. I'm fundamentally a spectroscopy hardware guy. I've measured photons in some fashion my entire life. So, <laughs> uh, 
as we looked around the space, Bob and I, I mean, we, we had a, a, a great encounter with a company called QPhoton out of the Stevens University, Dr. Wong. Um, and it was almost an immediate connection. I want to use a pun, say a resonance between us <laughs> where, um, you, you know, I saw this very unique approach and Bob and I both saw it immediately to using the quantum nature of things differently. It's a very counterintuitive photonic technology that we saw early on can provide the capability of quantum hardware that people are talking about being available in like 2025 and beyond. We see that today. Wow. So, so we embarked on a journey to, to start working, to partner with them initially did some joint marketing agreements, got to learn about each other's business, learn about each other's technology. And that has led to the recent announcement you referred to with the merger. So now we are one company and we are going full stack, right? Wow. We have an enterprise software platform. We've got some good intellectual property of our own on the AI machine learning side for algorithms. And we now have a really promising, I just want to use the word powerful, uh, photonic hardware uh, portfolio that we think we can really be a strong participant in leading the industry going forward to start to solve large, real-world, meaningful programs in many areas, optimization, predictive analytics, and you alluded to it uh, earlier, you know, some of the sort of uh, biological chemical applications as well using the nature of quantum using how photons interact in quantum systems. I think that's super exciting. And you're speaking Cyprian's language. So Cyprian, I, I, well, I heard the machine learning words pop up and that's you. Yeah. But I saw another thing that I would like to start with, uh, as I was looking through, through some of the stuff that you folks were announcing, right. Uh, because I'm a big fan of the brand. I saw you folks, you used Q amplify in the 2021 BMW, uh, yep. group, quantum computing challenge. I'm like a, a big fan of, of the brand. So can you just tell our audience a, a few words about that? Because I think that was one of the places where you demonstrated that 20x that, amplifying that, capability. Right? That is precisely uh, that, that it's like you could do the talk for me. It was precisely the example I was referring to. Uh, in November, um, the BMW challenge of last year, we presented, I think, early in the new year or maybe late last year. Um, and that is where we, in fact, demonstrated the uh, sort of the annealing algorithm enhancement and, and a little bit of detail behind it. As you know, the D-Wave machine, you know, touted is something like a 5,700 cubic uh, machine, right? However, because of its architectural details, it's a fairly sparse architecture. So if you put in a, a very dense problem like the BMW problem, I believe, was just under 3,000 variables, you'd need 3,000 qubits effectively, right? So, um, and when you apply a dense problem like that to the D-Wave, those 5,700 qubits cannot all be used for logical compute. They end up being consumed to make connections through this embedded threading process to make, you know, connections in a dense matrix. So you reduce the effective qubit count down to something about 150-ish. I'm, I'm not an expert on how that how the count drops, but it's somewhere in that range. And by using our algorithm and our machine learning approach to tuning that 
Hamiltonian and the kneeling offsets, which is what the algorithm does, um, we eliminated the need for the embedded threading, therefore giving back all of those compute qubits. Oh, wow. So we could solve the 3000 qubit problem with a D-wave by pre-processing it with our algorithm and eliminating the need for the embedded threading. And, and in a nutshell, it, we gave good you know, ground state energy answers to that problem of where to put the sensors to maximize the coverage, minimize the cost um, using that approach. And so I'll tell you, here's, here's a fun thing to think about. Now that we've got this photonic hardware, how about we go rerun that same exact problem with that same dimensional scale and not do any pre-processing, just load that Hamiltonian into the machine and let the machine do it. No algorithm. Wow. Hmm. That's what we're talking about with QPhoton. That's like, that's going to be super interesting. <laughs> so we will be able to talk about that. Uh, it is, so one of the things Bob and I have agreed, and Bob and I have worked together quite a while, we will never stand up on stage and, and, and talk about things that we're not prepared to, to support and uh, you know, sort of what not from defend, but from like, a, from like a thesis defense perspective. And so we're very excited about everything we're telling you today. But in short order, we will be prepared to probably come back and provide an actual presentation of what we're doing at a detail level supported by results. Excellent. And uh, I'm very confident, and we're obviously both very passionate about what we do, but uh, more to come. It's real exciting. I just want to build on that point, if I may, for a little bit, uh, for a second. You know, that's the one challenge we bump up against in the space right now. And one of the things that actually works in our favor is the fact that there's been so much hype in the industry um, in terms of what the potential for quantum computing can, will be, right? and various players trying to kind of put their stake in the ground about what they've been able to achieve. It does make it more difficult for companies like us to get noticed because when we do have something going on, we absolutely have to prove it, right? We don't have the brand name. We don't have the presence or the, the gravitas of these larger companies. So we're really, we're our feet are to the fire, right? We can't make a claim unless we can actually prove we can do it. That does work in our favor. That's exactly who Bill and I are anyway. I mean, we would never do that. Uh, that's against our grain. But it actually tees us up pretty well for the industry because, you know, here you have a small little company, right? We're a NASDAQ company. We're kind of interesting from a NASDAQ standpoint. We're a pure play in the quantum space. But, um, you know, you've got the QC, you've got the ion cues out there. You've got D-Wave, of course. You've got all these other players making big claims that they don't necessarily, you know, they're talking about what the future is. And we're going to come in and basically talk about what the future today is, not the future mm -hmm. of tomorrow. What can we do today? That I think, as Bill's alluded to here and actually didn't allude to, explicitly stated, we're going to outperform those, those QPUs. And uh, we're going to be able to demonstrate that. So I think that's going to have a significant impact. And I think... You know, this is sort of the mouse that roared a little bit, but, you know, it's going to be one of those those prophecies that it will be, I think, realized. Um, the photonic space is becoming, I think, more recognized in terms of what it's going to do in the in the quantum physics world and the actual delivery of quantum ca uh, capability. And I think QPhoton with QCI are actually going to very, very ably lead that um, that charge in, in the uh the photonics world. I mean, of photonics quantum. has the obvious advantage of not having to operate at obscenely low temperatures. Right. There's, there's a lot of good things going on there. It's another uh, really important point. Right. You know, the photons, because of their fundamental quantum nature being different than, you know, electrons and, and other types of, you know, fermions, as they're called, um, you know, have different advantages, but they have some, you know, some distant disadvantages. It's a little harder to entangle them, by the way. But one of the, one of the, um, one of the real 
secret sauce, if you will, of Q Photon is Dr. Wang has spent the better part of 20 years, you know, studying, you know, nonlinear quantum optics and has got some really novel uh, intellectual property on how to effectively, you know, create photon entanglement and put it to good use. So that's one of the one of the key elements of his photonics uh, systems, in particular, his what we call the entropy quantum computer that we're alluding to with uh, running some of these big problems. And um, it's, it's a very exciting thing. And it does operate truly at room temperature. And I think there's a there's another kind of aspect to this. Uh, and that's not always uh, addressed or obvious, right? There seems to be like a huge disconnect between what we do in terms of building quantum computers and what we do in terms of building quantum uh, communication networks. And I think that, 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 that the photonics approach is probably the one that will be best positioned to bridge this gap because with all the other kind of modalities of building the, the quantum processors, like there are some serious challenges in there in terms of kind of being able to... Uh, uh, bridge the gap between computing and communication. Well, couldn't what agree with you more. That? Couldn't agree with you more, Cyprian. I, uh, I, I think we as a company agree also. And but again, to Bob's point, we're pretty small, right? And we have tremendous, uh, I would say, vision and, and capability with the core technologies. But we're going to stay focused at first because we want to be successful. And I think we're both experienced enough, Bob, and I know if you try to do too many things at once, you do none of them well, okay? So we, we have, you know, the, the domain that we operate in is in the optimization world. We do some machine learning. We're going to focus on those areas with the photonic technology. However, to your point, it's the same core technology that can be used to do private communication networks using quantum mechanisms, quantum systems. Uh, we also have some initiatives on quantum sensing, of course. I mean, photons, you know, do a lot with photons. You can do, you know, quantum LIDAR, okay, which is different than regular bunches of photons type of LIDAR. You can do single photon type measurements, very powerful, right? Um, you can do quantum imaging. You can do, think of quantum tomography. These are more over the horizon technologies that we recognize and there have been some papers written on, okay? So we're going to be focused on commercial endeavors right now because we're a commercial company, but we have a long vision and roadmap on how we can do some research things that keep bringing quantum uh, systems into the real world. And we're going to start with the computing applications. But yeah. The portfolio I think back, to, back, to, back to Bob's point, I think this is what this industry needs, right? A little bit less hype. Mm-hmm. And a little bit more provable results, yep. things that like statements that can be, as you mentioned, I think that was a very good word, defended as in defending a PhD or, or whatever, right? I think the industry at this point really, really needs this kind of stuff because if you ask me, there's way too much hype out there at this moment. Well, and it it, it actually does a disservice. So, you know, I'm the security guy. On the call, on the call, my favorite algorithm is Shores. Um, <laughs> da- data scientist Cyprian, his favorite is Grover's. So we complement each other. But what one of my concerns is that the hype you're talking about is 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 clouding the real the real threat. So if, like your amplifier sounds to me like something that could usher in 
the reality of Shor's algorithm sooner than everyone's expecting. Because if I can suddenly take a thousand qubit system and multiply it by any factor, and then I can get the efficiencies down, we might get to a point. I've been predicting we might see Shor's algorithm seriously attack RSA before the end of the decade, depending on what innovations we see. And yours is one of them. Yours is that kind of innovation. It's it's a it's an intriguing thought to be sure, but I mean, let's so let's go back to being you know, say do and being more conservative. So the the algorithmic approach and the machine learning approach to the gate model systems that we said the factor of five scalability that was tested on one type of architecture, mm-hmm. right? Now all gate model systems kind of build quantum gates in a similar way, but their fundamental architecture is different. Cold atom, ion traps, you know, Josephson junction, you know, superconductors. I mean, those are all, you know, fundamentally different from a material science and a physics perspective. And you might get different results for each one. And you will get different results. You'd be, I mean, almost crazy to assume you get the same X factor, right? Right. Because it's going to, you know, it's going to be dependent on the, the decoherence time on you know, the, the noise of the system, basically. So you, you're going to have to determine the, the capability of a Q Amplify system by system. And that is our approach. I mean, we mm-hmm. want to say, look, we believe we can scale the capability of the capacity of your hardware by some number greater than one. I'll stand, I'll stand on that. Okay. <laughs> and, and, um, right. Not the, right, and and I would say probably you know greater than the square root of two, maybe. <laughs> okay, but I mean beyond that, we got to test it, right? Yeah. And, and I think the good thing is it's easy to test. That that it's not going to take you know right. six months to do it. If you want to work with us, we can do it fairly quickly. Right. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is that um, the the quantum future is either going to come faster than everyone expects or slower, and it's based on the amount of energy and the amount of people who I see, the smart people like yourselves that are working on these problems, I'm betting on sooner. I think it's going to surprise us. So I think there's there's one constant here is that it's going to happen. To your point, whether it happens sooner or later, it's going to happen. Right. And and you know what? And this is what I worry about from a national security standpoint is we may not even know that it happened someplace else. Right. Because, you know, if it's done well, You'll never even know you've been hacked. Right. And and we know that our adversaries and certain state actors are really working hard to make sure that they acquire that technology in advance because they're certainly scooping up a lot of data to figure out if they can crack those codes. So I, I'm a military man. I, I'm a West Point graduate. I was a Gulf War uh, platoon leader. And well, thank you for your service. Thank you, sir. One of my classmates, one of my roommates, in fact, is taking charge of Forcecom and getting his fourth star in a couple of weeks. Oh, and I'll be at Fort Bragg for that. Um, so I'm very teed in on what you're talking about right now. And I take heart at companies like your company because the United States industrial sector seems to be the leading nation state in this, in this race, China and the United States. I'm sure there's secret programs. I'm sure there's labs, but the mind share that, that, that Western companies have, in my opinion, we're going to, that's going to win. That's going to be the one that first cracks the code and I'm counting on it. And I think we all are. Well, I think it's, listen, I, you know, you're talking, you're preaching to the pulpit here. We see it as an imperative for this company to Mm -hmm. be able to contribute to our, to the U S national security, to be able to do that. Whether we're going to be able to do that successfully in the encryption space, as Bill said, we can only do so much. We are a small company, so we have to focus on what we can do well. 
But maybe there's others who can take our technology to do those things you're talking about. We want to work with them to ensure that they can have that advantage. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get on on the political agenda, and I'm not suggesting there should be one. But what I am suggesting is from a national perspective, we have to take quantum computing very seriously as as a threat. And as an advantage to what we can do from a national defense perspective. And it's not just us. We, we were lucky enough to have um, the Finnish government came on to announce their five qubit system. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much every country has right. an interest in knowing when this, when this becomes a tipping point on the security side, but also on the research side, because developing new materials, material science, that has am- ramifications for uh, quality of life, uh, climate change, and every other problem we're facing. It does. It well, does. And I'll tell you one... If, pardon me, Bill. Just one other point. Um, and this is one of the things that's exciting about a small company like QCI is, uh, you know, somebody will hopefully will be on that podium someday and we want it to be us. But we believe the innovation is going to come from small companies. It's not going to come from the large companies because they don't have the freedom to think the way small companies do. Right. I mean, if you look at the genesis of QPhoton, as we, re- as we mentioned, Dr. Wong is a, is a brilliant, brilliant physicist. And, um, you know, and he started off QPhoton, very small little effort to do that within the framework of, uh, of Stevens. And we were fortunate to come together to kind of make this a reality. Um, but we know that there's a lot of other folks working on the same types of technologies that may not have that benefit to get out into the real world and be able to do it commercially. Um, so, you know, it's, but, we, but we do believe it's going to come from small companies like QCI. Cool. Sorry, no, but what were you saying, Bill? Well, all I was going to add to that was um, in terms of how much you can do at once, right? So we'll we'll maintain our core focus. But the good thing about having been around for decades doing things is that you have a past, right? And both Bob and I have pasts, as as do you gentlemen, and um, that we can leverage that past. So I mean, we we have connections with you know Bob has a lot of connections with government. Um, I've got a lot of connections with, you know, large high-tech companies, mm-hmm. you know, Lidos, my most recent, uh, you know, journey. And, you know, they're a pretty big, you know, IT security company, right? And guess what? They're going to be exploring quantum networks and not not uniquely, but so we, we can use partnerships as, mm-hmm. as appropriate to help. Uh, expose some of our core technology where we don't have to have all the the manpower on our team, but we could partner with companies like that. And, 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 you know, as we go forward now, integrating these two companies together, we're going to look at that, you know, internal, external strategy, customers today, technology tomorrow, and how do we, you know, bridge those together more quickly. So so I just gave a talk yesterday to a, a friend of mine's company, um, on leadership. And one of the things I said is most people have to get over, um, the, the, the impulse to fail alone instead of succeeding with help. And it sounds like your company has gotten over that impulse because yeah, uh, well, that's well, a problem. Being old, the of having some gray hair. You know? There you go. Being old, one of the things that I really love about your story is, um, I often see this, one of the, one of the hypes or one of the messages that really bothers me uh, and I hear it, unfortunately, even in some conferences and stuff, uh, folks getting up to stage and saying, you know, the world of tomorrow will belong to quantum computing. Quantum computing will replace everything, right? Which is as far from the truth as right. possible. Never going I, to happen. I, I always, I, I, I'm a firm believer in the hybrid model, right? Where you will have classical computing do some stuff. You will have uh, quantum computing augmenting some of the areas where classical like lags. 
power or whatever. And this example where you are using what is essentially a classical computing workload, machine learning, right, to augment quantum computing, I think this is like a poster child example for what we will see in the future. And then the other thing that that seems to me like uh, amazing is that you folks are using machine learning to uh, uh, improve the performance of solving optimization problems, right, using quantum computers. Now, the interesting thing is that this seems to kind of start becoming an interesting spiral that will go upwards from my point of view because some of the core machine learning tasks today, like think of, I don't know, training the immensely uh, large open AI GPT models, right? Those are essentially tasks that require solving difficult optimization problems. Absolutely. Right? So I think it's it's, it's the, the path that you are taking for, and obviously I'm biased because as Patrick mentioned, I'm an AI and machine learning guy at my heart, right? I think the path that you are taking is 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 uh, having like a, an immense potential because I think the two paradigms, classical and quantum, will actually help each other, uh, and the spiral will be uh, uh, will be going up. Could couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, if even at the simplest level, you don't need a quantum computer to do everything. No. Something it's like obviously computers like, are be perfectly fine for, and we should apply the tools in our in our arsenal and our capability set to do the problems that they best serve. So the, I'm a believer in that. The analogy I use is if somebody says that, then there's a couple of things. One is it's like saying that the GPU will replace the CPU. You're missing the right. fundamental point. It's a specialized system. Um, and it also Patrick too, just on that point, because you know, there's a certain level of arrogance in the quantum community, computing, uh, computing community that kind of speaks to that, Cyprian. That's exactly what. And it, it's because the shoe's on the wrong foot. The, 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 the drivers here ought to be the applications and the, the end users, not the folks who are doing the hardware, right? I mean, clearly, we need hardware to be able to develop applications for. But, but once you unleash it, the end users are going to be driving the development here because they're going to be saying, listen, that doesn't work, but this one does. Let's go over here. And competition will then ultimately drive what the technology needs to go to. We saw that on the smartphones, right? Talk about that analog all the time. It's like 2000, you had a flip phone, right? Then the smartphone came along and bingo, you had stuff that people could actually do on phones they could possibly couldn't do on a computer. And right? we couldn't imagine no. 10 years I mean, ago. It's going to happen in the quantum space. As, long, as soon as we can unleash that power to the end user, and they're going to start demanding performance. Well, anybody that's ever released software that's been, the users do things with it you never even thought of. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, you're doing what? How? how? Yeah. <laughs> they, they will definitely, they'll definitely use our technology in ways we can't imagine. I think as an industry and as a technology, the, we and the industry are at this uh, inflection point that it could actually be a tipping point, but it's at least an inflection point where um, the next improvement in capability that takes you to actually help a customer make money, let's put it that way, is going to take off. Right. And it's going to very quickly transition from the academic approach, which is essential to get these nascent markets going Instead of the conversation going, well, show me a paper on that and then we can talk to saying, solve my problem and then we can talk. Right. We are right on that inflection point. And, and my, obviously my desire is that that inflection point becomes a tipping point and a disruptive moment. But 
I'll take the inflection because, you know, hard work never killed anybody. That's true. <laughs> um, so we're coming up on half an hour. We still got a little bit of time to maybe explore one more topic. Is there anything else, um, you know, uh, relative to what you guys are doing with photonics, the, you know, some of your plans for enabling the material science world, or even a question from, from Cyprian on the machine. Yeah, learning I, side I, would, I would really like to, to dive a little bit in, like we've mentioned, okay. Um, the temperature is one of the things, but I would like maybe to hear from you, like, what, what do you think are some of the other advantages of, of using photonics as opposed to maybe trapped iron and things like that? And again, not to downplay the effort of the others, right? But I, I, I always like to, to kind of hear, because it seems to me that you folks have taken like a big bet on photonics. So there's clearly stuff in there that you believe and you have probably proof of that will help you right? Build, use the technology. So I would really like to, to hear a little bit more about, about like, like how sure. do you think photonics would play better than, than some of the other, other modalities? Sure. Well, and, and I guess I'll take a shot at that. Um, cause it's one thing that we're actually literally embarking on, on measuring right now. So it's not too far in the future. It's, it's kind of contemporary work. Um, and that is, you know, all of the quantum hardwares out there, including the photonic systems, are typically built around this, you know, two quantum state provisioning of a qubit, right? Well, I mean, if you really step back, I mean, the most simple fundamental quantum systems are far more than two states, right? I mean, um, and the, uh, the photonics capability, I'm not going to say it's unique, but it's uh, we, we think we have the ability to create high dimensionality to sort of the QDIT kind of uh, system. Now, what that really does to solving a problem, does it give higher resolution answers in finding the ground state? Does it find degeneracies more easily in multiple solutions? We're not 100% sure, but we definitely know that we can configure our photonic system between a qubit system and a QDIT system. And we can greatly expand the dimensionality that way. And we are intending to do sort of like our own internal benchmarking AB kind of testing. Let's run this problem on a QDIT machine, then let's reconfigure it and run it on a, a QDIT machine and start comparing the answers. It's kind of more of a, let's explore the boundaries of what you can do with high dimensional quantum computing. And that is a, an area that I think is very accessible to us right now with our technology. I wish I could was smart enough to say I uh, I know what the answers are going to be. I think we have some hypotheses of why we're doing the test, obviously, uh, but that that remains to be seen. But I think high dimensional quantum computing is an area that will be very expansive, and and you know other people are talking about this this same uh, type of approach with the other uh, technology architectures. Yeah, um, that. Uh, sorry, Patrick. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, how do you achieve these? Uh, how you envision achieving these extra dimensions? Is it through like using the frequency of the light? Yes. <laughs> okay. So yes. basically, you're using. Well, I mean, look. I mean, it. Quant. Uh, wave wave functions uh, are are described by something known as Hilbert space, right? Mm -hmm. Which is by nature a very high dimensional space. Has amplitude, phase, frequency, right? So there, these aren't necessarily, you know, 
not aren't necessarily simply Euclidean kind of X. I mean, a, a qubit yeah. is fundamentally multidimensional. Just well, on it its is. Face. A qubit is a multi-dimension. A qubit is a qubit of dimension two. <laughs> Think of it that way. Yeah. So you have your wave function, which is you know alpha times ket zero plus beta times ket one. Wow. What if I said the wave function was alpha times ket zero plus beta times ket one plus delta times ket two plus gamma times ket three, on and on and on to some number where I have right. multiple amplitudes that I can measure and therefore multiple probabilities that I can extract from a measurement that right. would be useful in some problems. So, so to, I mean, this is a, this is a probably a gross simplest simplification, but just for those of our listeners who aren't as deep into the math and physics, I guess I would, the way I might describe it is instead of just taking polarity, maybe you take polarity plus spin plus to add multiple dimensions. Um, but this, I think this is going to be a little bit mind-blowing. It's going to be taking a while. Very to kind cool. of- so, so, I mean, I wish I had this ability when I was studying the dynamics of, you know, molecular systems back when dinosaurs roamed the earth in the 1980s. Because <laughs> my PhD would have been a lot easier. But, um, you know, you can go on to – it's amazing to me, actually. You can go on to YouTube. And, yep. I, I mean, I just did this like a week ago. You can go on to YouTube and you can look up literally – visualization of a wave function and dude, you will find so many videos of, and you can, you can visualize frequency, amplitude, phase, and you, and you go, Oh my God. I mean, there's a perfect vision of a complex number and people are visual animals, mm. right? We don't, I don't think in equations, I mean, it was, it was torture, frankly. Right. I mean, it's nice to have great visualization. And I think that the real power of, of quantum systems coming to life in our generation is going to be enabled by the ability to visualize things yeah. that we could do with, with, by the way, with powerful computers that can animate <laughs> that are GPUs to show you what a wave function looks like, right? Yeah. To show you the, the interaction of a harmonic oscillator. I mean, you know, 1985, I had to imagine that. Not yeah. like you go online and look at it. Yeah, it this, is. This ties, Patrick, this ties very well into one of our previous guests uh, when we were discussing about actual, uh, actually a, a novel representation, right, of quantum processes through just diagrams, right? Visualization. Those folks were taking like from zero to 100 quantum computing just using visuals, right? No math, no uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, complex calculations and things like that. And the results are pretty amazing, and I, I, I definitely agree. Right? It's it's like um, the the visual animal that the human being is. Right? Needs to be fed with with, with things that that can be perceived. Right? And it's it's amazing. I think, I think we need two things. We need more visualization, and we need more episodes of Entangled Things. How's that? For, <laughs> how's that for placement? Great segue. <laughs> So we're, we're running, running low on time. I really do appreciate your time. Hope you join us again. Um, I think it's a, a fantastic announcement. The synergy sound uh, really striking. And uh, we look forward to what a, uh, we wouldn't consider you guys a small company, but, but um, in, this, in this space, you certainly are a nimble company. So we look forward to what you guys do in the future. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the invitation to join you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody. See you next time. 
So it's been a great episode, uh, but we've been waiting with bated breath for the big announcement. You guys have some really big news. Bill, can you tell us what's going on? Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, so I know we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about you know what we were uh, doing in tra- transforming our business uh, with uh, our software and a new recent merger with a, a very important hardware company to become a full stack quantum solution provider. And um, I think last time we hinted that we were in the process of producing some some preliminary, very exciting results. And yesterday, uh, we presented uh, our results for the first full quantum solution to an AWS BMW uh, autonomous driving application, where wow. the challenge was to optimize uh, a specific number of sensors to get complete coverage of a vehicle for autonomous driving with a whole bunch of constraints around it to make sure that you could minimize the cost minimize the number of sensors and get full coverage. So we, we solved that problem in the last couple of weeks since we talked, and we presented that data yesterday at 11.30 Munich time, 5.30 a.m. Uh, Eastern uh, uh, Daylight Time. And uh, the problem that we solved on a quantum hardware, our new quantum hardware, was representative of 3,854 qubits is a big variable problem with 501 constraints, and we put that system into our computer and solved it in just over six minutes. We ran wow. it a number of times to get statistical results, which we're very happy with, to about 99.99%, 40 decibels of contrast in signal-to-noise because we're measuring photons. Yeah. So um, we were pretty happy with the result. Uh, we presented it to um, uh, the team yesterday in Munich, and we, we got some some interesting questions, which uh, we responded to, and... I thanked my team to give me the honor to uh, present on behalf of the team, um, and that's our result. We we wow. obtained a we obtained a a feasible a uh, an optimal result that was superior to anything that we compared it to, including our own results from the previous year using our Q Amplify software and a and a D wave annealer. And um, I know other classical solvers obviously can solve this problem. It wasn't. Our purpose wasn't to claim that no other computer in the world can solve this problem. It's not the largest um, problem in the world to solve for a classical system, but it is the largest problem that I'm aware of that's ever been solved by a pure quantum computer. So wow. That's the, that's really the message. That's big news. So that's that's super exciting. We really appreciate you sharing with us. And and I understand there was like over 3,800 variables yeah, in this. And 50, you've got to remember those 54. No, big... someone's going to ask the precise answer. So I have to... <laughs> yeah. um, we're really very grateful that you can share that with us and our audience. And um, we're going to release this a couple of days late. So it'll probably be a little less than a week old by the time this episode comes to air. But uh, thanks again for, for both of you to being uh, guests here. And uh, and we, we really welcome the announcement. You got it. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Good follow up with you. Thank you very much. Bye.